All right, kids, when we think about Jonah, what do we think about? Right, the big fish, right? That's where our minds immediately go. We think about Jonah and that fish, but you know, that's just a a small part of, of the greater story of Jonah's life. The real story is how he got in that fish in the first place and what happened afterwards. See, Jonah was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh. Uh, because it was, the, it was the capital city of the Assyrians, and they, need, they were an evil people. God wanted them to repent of their sins, but Jonah did not want them to repent of their sins. The Assyrians were the most hated people on earth at that time. Jonah wasn't afraid of them, although he probably should have been, but he was afraid that they might actually listen to the message of God. And he was supposed to be a prophet. I mean, he, he hated the Assyrians so much that the last thing he wanted was for them to receive God's forgiveness. See, the Assyrians had been cruel. They had been evil to the Jewish people. They were known for their terrorist tactics to put fear in people. So there was no way that Jonah wanted God to ever forgive these folks. So even though his heart wasn't in it, He didn't want to sit in the belly of a fish again. He went to Nineveh and he preached repentance. And to his utter disappointment, the people repented. It's the last thing he wanted. They gave their lives to God. So instead of being elated, wow, look at this, Jonah was frustrated and he was mad. And he was mad at God. And if you notice, the last verse in the book of Jonah is not a happy verse. They all lived happily ever after. That's not how Jonah ends. He's angry and bitter and cynical. This morning, I want to do something a little bit different than I usually do in a sermon. I want to share with you a remarkable true story. A story that is hard to believe. But it's absolutely true. It begins on a farm in southwest Oregon where a young man named Jake was raised in a Christian home. Went to Sunday school every, every week with his mom. Learned all the songs that kids are supposed to learn in Sunday school. But he never embraced the faith of his parents. In fact, he completely rejected Jesus in his life. So wanting to see more than of the world than just his little town. Jake enlisted in the army in 1940 and he joined the Army Air Corps as a bombardier. Well, after the attack uh, on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, Jake found himself in a very unusual situation. He was selected to be part of the Jimmy Doolittle raid on Japan. He never dreamed a little boy from Oregon would be in this pretty much suicide mission. See, they wanted to retaliate against the Japanese, but they only had enough fuel to get to Japan and not back. So they left the aircraft carrier. They dropped their bombs on Tokyo. They got out of there as fast as they could. But Jake's plane and all the others ran out of fuel over China. 
and they parachuted into the Chinese jungle. Unknown to Jake, at the very moment that he jumped out of the crashing airplane in the middle of the night, back in Oregon, his Christian mother was moved to pray for him. Well, Jake and the others were were captured by the Japanese. And they were taken as prisoners of war. They were kept outdoors in bamboo cages. They were treated cruelly. They were always near starvation. Beaten every day. Several of them died. One of his fellow prisoners uh, in a cage next to him one day told Jake, he said, Jake, you don't understand this now. But Jesus is the key to all of this. And a few days later, that man died of starvation. Well, after two years, the emperor of Japan decided that they would change the way prisoners of war were treated. So they gave them fresh bread. They gave them books to read. One of the books was the Bible. Emperor didn't know what that was, but he knew Americans liked to read it, so he threw that in there in that list of approved books. Well, Jake wasn't an officer, so he had to wait his turn to get these books. But he was given access to a Bible. He didn't know how long he would have it, and ended up being about three weeks. But he didn't have anything else to do sitting in that cage, so he started reading the Bible. He scoured through it. Every waking hour when he wasn't being mistreated by the guards, he would read it. And when Jake got to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, his entire world changed. This is what Romans 10, 9 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In the middle of the Chinese jungle, a prisoner of war, starving to death, he had diseases. He gave his life to Jesus. But you see, Jake still had anger in his heart toward the Japanese. I mean, after all, they were starving him. They didn't give him doctor's care. Every day... They would come to him, and the first thing they'd say is, we might kill you today, or we might not. We'll decide later. And he was a Christian, but he just, he had this this, this hatred toward, toward these Japanese. But he still had his Bible, and he was reading through his Bible. And on this one day, he got to Luke chapter 23. And then he read verse 34. It was the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And at that moment, a peace entered his heart like he had never experienced before. That night, they took the Bible away. They threatened to kill him again. And Jake looked into the eyes of the guard who was beating him. And for the first time, he he had compassion on this man. And he thought to himself, the only reason you're beating me is because you don't know Jesus. 
His harsh treatment continued until the war was over. And every day that the guards would come and mistreat him, he would say, he would say in his mind, you're only doing this to me because you don't know Jesus. Jake spent the entire war as a prisoner. The entire war. When the war was over, the guards just opened up the, the, the doors of the, of the cages where they were and just walked off. And Jake and the ones who were still alive kind of found their way back. And when he got home and after he got out of the hospital, he discovered something that he didn't know since he was a POW. He was a national hero. Everybody had been talking about him and his other prisoners. He found himself going from city to city in parades, people cheering him. He was written up in newspapers. He made the cover of Life magazine. He was interviewed on the radio. Everybody knew Jake DeShazer. He was a Christian. I mean, he still loved Jesus. He had this peace in his heart. But he was still unfulfilled with his life as a celebrity in America. And he never forgot why it was that the Japanese beat him so badly and mistreated him. It's because they didn't know who Jesus was. And if they did, they wouldn't have acted that way. He knew what God was calling him to do, but his family and friends thought he was a little crazy. You can imagine he had several job offers. I mean, what corporation wouldn't want to have a national hero working for them? But he rejected all of them. He finished college, and this young man from southwest Oregon enrolled at Asbury Seminary right up the street. He went there to be trained to be a missionary. And you'll never guess where he wanted to go. Jake DeShazer went to Japan. And he spent the next 30 years of his life as a missionary to the Japanese people because they didn't know who Jesus was. In those 30 years, Jake planted 23 churches and he preached to thousands of people. And that brings us to the other major person in this story. Mitsuo Fujito was a captain in the Japanese Navy. He was actually chosen to lead the attack on Pearl Harbor. It was Fujita who called out the words, Torah, 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 to let his aircraft carrier know that the attack on Pearl Harbor had been successful. By the end of the war, Fujita had risen to the rank of an air operations officer. It was a high position. One of his final duties before the war was over was to investigate a bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima to take a report back to the Imperial Command. 
Well, after the war, this was probably around 1949, 1950, Fujita was in a restaurant and he found a booklet, a little pamphlet, we might call it, a brochure. And it was written by a guy named Jake DeShazer who talked about his war experiences and his newfound faith in Christ. And Fujita said, I need to meet this man. So we found out where Jake was speaking next. Jake had just finished a 40-day fast. Y'all, I can't make it from breakfast to lunch. 40-day fast where he prayed for revival in Japan. So after one of Jake's revival events, Fujita introduced himself to Jake. And after a long conversation... Fujita rejected his Buddhist faith, accepted Christ, and Jake baptized him on the spot. But it gets better. You see, the two of them had such a connection that together they traveled around Japan and around other Asian nations and they preached to huge crowds about what Jesus can do in your life. These two former enemies of war were now brothers in Christ. They were Christian soldiers together preaching the message of grace and forgiveness. Let's jump ahead several decades. I find myself knocking on the door of an apartment in a retirement village in Salem, Oregon. See, I was the alumni director at Asbury Seminary at that time. And I had just spoken to a group of United Methodist pastors in Portland. And I decided to drive down to Salem to meet this person I'd only heard about, Jake DeShazer. We hadn't heard about him in a long time. As a matter of fact, we didn't even really have him on our books as being a graduate of the seminary. See, Jake didn't care about that. He spent his whole time in Japan. Jake's wife had died a few years before, and this national hero and giant of the Christian faith was living in obscurity in this little retirement apartment. Well, that afternoon, I talked with Jake about his life, and he shared with me many of the details that I've shared with you this morning. And I asked about his war honors, his medals, all of his memorabilia. He said, sure, I think I've got them around here somewhere. And he led me to a spare bedroom where he kept them in a closet. Congressional Medal of Honor, Purple Heart, Silver Star, all these things. Picture of Jake with MacArthur. He said he witnessed to MacArthur. I'll tell you later what MacArthur told him. See, for Jake, it was always about people knowing Jesus. He didn't care if people knew who he was. Jake died a few years later at the age of 95 without much fanfare. Yet thousands of people are in heaven because He dared to share the good news 
of Jesus with people who had caused him so much suffering. Listen, very few of us are ever going to experience hardships like Jake DeShazer did. Yet I know without a doubt that every person in this room, every person has been hurt by somebody. You have. Because if you haven't, you haven't lived. Because everybody gets hurt by someone else. Maybe you've been lied to or betrayed or verbally abused maybe even physically abused. And many of us have attitudes like Jonah and not like Jake. We want those people who have hurt us to experience the forgiveness of Christ, don't we? No. We don't. They've hurt us too deeply. We want them to pay for what they've done to us. That's the natural human response. See, for as beautiful of a verse as John 3.16 is, there's another side to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Beautiful verse. But there's that one word that we have to pay attention to. It's the whoever. What happens when those who have hurt us in the past are part of the whoever and they give their lives to Jesus? Are we able to embrace them as a Christian sister or brother? Do we hope that Muslim terrorists or ISIS will be killed? Or do we pray for their salvation? I know what Jake would tell us to do. Jake would say they engage in violent jihad because they don't yet know Jesus. This is tough. This is not easy. If there's someone in your life who doesn't yet know Jesus, who's hurt you, have you prayed for their salvation? Have you prayed that God would bless them? Because maybe the only way that they'll ever come to faith is, is if they experience God working in their lives. And if given the opportunity, would you be able to lead them to Christ and accept them as part of your primary family, which is our family of faith? I really had to do a lot, a lot of soul searching before I was even able to come up here and preach this today. I struggle with this too. See, Jonah never really accepted his mission from God. And he ended up bitter and cynical when the Assyrians actually listened to his message. Because the God of Israel was now the God of the Assyrians. It didn't seem right to Jonah or fair. And he was bitter and he was angry with God. 
Jake DeShazer found Christ in the midst of his suffering. But he also found compassion for those who were torturing him. And he was convinced without any doubt that if they had known Christ, they wouldn't have been doing this to him. Jake actually told me, he said, if the Japanese people had known Jesus, they never would have been a part of World War II. Be honest with yourself this morning. Is your attitude more like Jonah's or Jake's? Jonah's life ended up in anger and cynicism and bitterness. Jake DeShazer's life ended up with peace and contentment and a deep love for Jesus. May God give us grace to look at ourselves honestly enough to really assess where we are and how we approach this situation. Because listen, the reality is that if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that all of us have done evil, sinful things, haven't we? Anybody here perfect? I don't see any hands. We've all done evil things. We all have things that we've done that we're ashamed of. But you know what? Jesus still loved us enough to die for us. Because Jesus knew that we didn't know what we were doing before we met him. We didn't either. Let's pray.